Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Love the 80s? Then you'll love Virgin Radio 80s Plus. Love Chris Evans. Love the 80s. Over on Virgin Radio. 80s Plus. Welcome to the show. Vasos is here. Aloha. And I'm here. Aloha. And very soon, Bernie Taupin's going to be here. Tell me about Bernie Taupin, Vasos, then I'll tell everybody a bit more about him too. When we listen to Elton John, we also listen to... Bernie Taupin, the brain behind I'm Not the Man, They Think I Am at Home, I Remember When Rock Was Young, It Seems to Me That You Lived Your Life. He and his prodigious power with words have come up with a, an autobiography because we knew very little about Bernie's life these past 50 years, and now we do because Scattershot, Life, Music, Elton and Me is out now. Yeah, one of the most extraordinary paragraphs in the book, and it is a brilliant book. Honestly, this is a cracker. As far as life stories go, this is as colourful as you want it to be. And also there's talent right at the centre of it as well. So there's talent, there's accomplishment, there's satisfaction, there's good decisions, there's bad decisions, there's hedonism. Uh, because Elton John had his own plane for a long time. It was called the rocket ship. And uh, <laughs> he used to go around on the rocket ship all the time. And Bernie was on the rocket ship one day as they were going from one gig to another. And he found himself sitting next to John Lennon on the plane. And John Lennon says to Bernie, have you heard of that song? song of mine called Across the Universe. Bernie said, yeah, of course I have. And Bernie thought uh, John was joking, but he wasn't joking because he never took people or things or his success for granted. Then they struck up this amazing friendship. So a couple of years later, they're in this bar in Los Angeles because Bernie now moves to Los Angeles, which is hilarious in itself because uh, when Bernie moves to Los Angeles, he and Elton are already so successful, he buys his first house in the Hollywood Hills for $84,000, which he still has. And uh, he he loved the weather in Los Angeles. Of course, he enjoyed the weather in Los Angeles. Um, but because he was so successful, because he co-writes all Elton John's songs and has done for 50 years, count them, that's just the 50 years. When there was an off day of weather in LA, which doesn't happen very often, but when there was a bit of sort of gloom around, they call it the June gloom, but it does happen at different times of the year, he used to just get on the plane and go somewhere else. And then he used to phone home. It says, is, is it sunny again yet? And he would wait till it was sunny. Then he'd come back to Los Angeles. He'd usually go to Australia for that bit, things like that. He's in the bar with John Lennon a few years after meeting him on Elton's plane. And um, Brian Wilson's in the bar. So you have, you have, you have the author... The genius, the wizard behind Pet Sounds. Some say the greatest album of all time. And then you have one of the other architects and engineers of Sgt. Pepper. Other people say that's the greatest album of all time. And they're in the bar. Here's the thing. John doesn't know Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson doesn't know John. Bernie knows both of them. Bernie's just at the bar ordering a drink for him and John. Brian comes over to Bernie. says, hi, Bernie. He says, hi, Brian. He said, are you with John Lennon? He says, yes, I am. He said... I'd love to meet him. He said, well, that's not going to be a problem. He'd love to meet you. So he goes over to meet John Lennon and, and Bernie says, John, this is Brian. And 
John could not have been more thrilled to meet Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. And so they have this chat uh, for 10, 15 minutes. And then Brian says, thanks very much. Cheers. And off he goes. Half an hour later, Brian goes, comes up to, um, to Bernie and says, Bernie, he says, hi, Brian. Yeah, hi, how are you doing again? He says, I says, I'm fine. I couldn't meet John Lennon, could I? Completely forgotten he's meeting John Lennon. So, so Bernie says, okay. So he meets John Lennon again. They have a 10-minute chat, 15-minute chat. And then an hour later, Brian comes up to Bernie. Could meet John Lennon, could what? I? Does it four times? <laughs> and that's that's the stories in this book are unbelievable. Because you forget, I forget, because we know Rod a bit, because we know Rod Stewart a bit. We do know him. He does things with us and for us, and hopefully we can reciprocate whenever well we do, whenever we can for he and Penny. You know, Rod is really famous, <laughs> but you just forget because we know him a bit. And in the 70s, Rod also bought a, a house in Los Angeles and he had this weekly drink soiree where reg regular attendees were Orson Welles, Gregory Pegg and Fred Astaire. And he and Bernie and these guys used to just hang on a weekly basis. Oh, what times. Yeah. Oh, what wonderful, wonderful times. I can't wait to talk to him. UK landmark crown, the most beautiful UNESCO World Heritage Site in the world. And this is the wonderful, is it an aqueduct? I think it is, isn't it? An aqueduct and canal in Wales. And it's the Ponty Sislite aqueduct. And it's stunning. So it looks like, you know, uh, a viaduct, but it's it's a, there's a canal. It's been built for a canal. It's wonderful. If you see any programs on Channel 5 about barges, this bridge will feature in them. Baby beaver, born in London for the first time in 400 years. A baby beaver has been spotted in London for the first time in 400 years, 18 months after an initiative began to reintroduce the species to the capital. Has this got anything to do with the Bake Off last week and the killer clip that we played last week of Alison Hammond and the beaver cake? And I, I thought, it, I thought uh, Queen Mary had made a return, <laughs> but it's Prue Leith. We all think Mary's still doing the Bake Off. It, Okay, here we go. Uh, this is our latest beaver clip. Why did you choose the beaver? I dressed up. Why did you choose beaver? the beaver? Why are you talking like that? Proof? I'm not even sure I know what a beaver looks like. Oh. So. <laughs> Quite sort of shapely. A boozy beaver. That is the best. Nikki, can you bring your showstopper up, please? Here we go, Norman. Norman's the name of the beaver, so, by Nikki, the way. Tell us about your beaver. She named her beaver cake Norman. <laughs> her beaver looked amazing, but it was bone dry. Yeah, I don't like dry beavers. Yeah. <laughs> I hate dry beavers. carry on. <laughs> Look, stop this. If you can't see Prue Leith, if you don't see, she sounds like Mary Berry, doesn't she? She really does. Uh, Chester Zoo's arrival could boost Paddington bear species. An endangered Andean bear has arrived at a zoo. A real-life Paddington, this is cool, isn't it? To help boost the species, likened to the fictional favourite Paddington bear. Emotional support alligator denied entry into a baseball stadium. <laughs> It's very funny. Shade, the picture shade of, wearing. He was he was being he was being cuddled outside by his uh, yeah. Owner. And, they, and then so, the well, owner. Why can't I bring in an alligator? So then the owner. <laughs> what the owner did was, they accessorised the alligator's look with their own Ray Bans, hoping that then the security wouldn't recognise that this was an alligator because it had sunglasses on. Works for works for rock stars. Yes. Doesn't work for alligators, clearly. Olivia, Olivia Rodrigo performs If It Makes You Happy duet with Cheryl Crow. And um, we have that for you now. This is good, isn't it?
enjoying some welcome news over the weekend. Kylie Minogue's Tension, her ninth album, is a number one album. Uh, Kylie Minogue celebrates her ninth official number one album with Tension, the Australian superstar. Oh, sorry, it's her 16th album, but her ninth to go to number one, which is great. Uh, Plumpkins, forget pumpkins. Plumpkins, rain was tricky for us, but a treat for crops. Massive pumpkins. Look at the size of those. Nice. See, there's a lot of biodiversity going on there. Mm. Uh, Adele shares a hug with Paul McCartney at her Las Vegas show. That's pretty cool, isn't it? A motorist find after dog seen behind wheel of a car. <laughs> I knew you'd like that. Yes. I knew you'd like that story. I knew about you giggle and titter, maybe even guffaw. And I don't know if you heard uh, or not, but we won the Ryder Cup. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. All right, I'm very excited to talk to our next guest. I genuinely, genuinely am. We don't really have anybody on the show anymore. We're lucky enough to be able to just have people that we, we, we want to talk to you on. But even there's an even higher bar some days than others. and It doesn't get any higher than this. Vasos, please. When we listen to Elton John, we also hear our next guest. He remembers when Rock was young. And thanks to his new book, we now know if he's lived his life like a candle in the wind. <laughs> Scattershot, life, music, Elton and me is out now. So let's say goodbye, Yellow Brick Road, and good morning, Bernie Torpin. Bernie, I can't believe you're here, man. <laughs> Thanks. I, can't I like the build-up. I like the build-up. Thank you. I read your book over the weekend. Uh, I'm halfway through it. I usually get through a book, but I scan it, and I couldn't scan it and skim it. It was too good. It was too oh, good. Thank you, man. So I'm up to the point where you pushed John Lennon on stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about the halfway point, it I would is. imagine. It's bang on, yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, tell us about um, you talking to Elton John, first of all, on Starship. Starship was Elton's plane. Right, and, right. And John... formerly, formerly used by Led Zeppelin. Yeah. It was sanitised well before yeah, we Yeah, it had we some previous, control. didn't it? Yeah. Okay, so you, so you and John Lennon on Elton John's plane. Tell us about that. Well, we were actually on the way to uh, Boston to play a date in Boston, and... Prior to that, um, uh, John had had a number one record with Whatever Gets You Through the Night, which Elton had played on, and they'd made a sort of deal, a kind of temporary deal, that if the record got to number one, uh, John would perform with Elton at Madison Square Garden uh, later in the month. So uh, the reason that John was on the plane going to Boston was because um, he wanted to see the show and see what he was setting himself up for. So we did that, and then we came back, and I think it was Thanksgiving that the show was on a Thanksgiving. And obviously Elton uh, had persuaded John to come on and perform with us. And being that John hadn't... Everybody kind of goes into the whole thing about how could John Lennon be nervous yeah, about yeah. going on stage. But I think what people tend to forget is that back in the... You know, he hadn't performed live yeah. for years. Yeah. So the whole dynamic was completely different. You know, the, the monitors on stage, yeah. the way that, you know, the technicality of it was completely different. He wasn't match fit either. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it just wasn't... It wasn't in his wheelhouse anymore. So... 
he was obviously very nervous to the point where he was actually sick backstage. And But he had a lot of people backing him up there, and uh, one of them being me. And uh, by the time it was time for him to go on stage, and by the way, he looked like a million dollars. I mean, he looked incredible. And uh, he looked every inch the rock god. And so, but at the side of the stage before he went on, he was going, I, I, I can't do this. I don't know if I can do this. You've got to come on with me. And it's like, <laughs> and do what? Yeah. You know, what am I supposed yeah. to do? Stand there like a complete, you know, just... Yeah. <laughs> Tool. What, tool. <laughs> Thank you. Tool is the exact thing. So anyway, we ended up sort of propelling him on stage and the rest is history. And the, the place went absolutely nuts. I mean, I've been at the garden for countless shows and, and the, the, the ground at the garden used to vibrate. You know, when you were standing there, it was literally like an earthquake, but it was that 10 times. And I mean, the reception he got was phenomenal. And so when he came off stage, obviously I had to go on for an encore. He just literally collared me stuck a, a tambourine in my hand and said, you're coming on now. And again, I still look like a tool. Yeah. But <laughs> Very amazing story. Can you just back behind that microphone? Oh, yeah, that's, sure. that's cool, man. Thank yeah, you so much. Sorry. Oh, my goodness me. Let's rewind now. Let's rewind to that fateful day that you saw the ad in the paper, the music paper, the enemy, and Elton saw the same one and you pitched up and you met each other. I didn't realise till I read your book, it was love at first sight. You liked Elton straight off the bat, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We The first time we met, which is a, a sort of prologue at the beginning of the book, uh, was at uh, Dick James's studios on New Oxford Street. Now, we'd both been to see Ray Williams, who was the guy that literally put us together. And we'd both been to see him individually and Elton sort of uh, didn't come off across great because he had no original material so he just played I think he played Jim Reeves as he'll have to go but I guess for some reason Ray saw something in him and Elton had said or Reg as he was back then had said well I really want to write songs but I don't have any material I, I I'm not I, I can't write words. I can't. I'm, I need a lyricist, or I don't think he said I need one, but I would like one, or intimated that he would like one. And at the same time, I'd been to see Ray Williams a, a slightly before him, and I'd, I'd sent in some material. And what happened was basically, as Kismet would have it, he handed my uh, envelope of very, very juvenile lyrics. Well, they weren't really even lyrics. It was just sort of I was flying by the seat of my pants because I had no idea what it meant to write a lyric or a song lyric anyway. Uh, but as, as fate would have it, he gave them to Elton and arranged for us to meet at Dick James's studio. And Dick James's studio was where a lot of demos, they were actually the published, Dick was actually the publisher of the Beatles. Yeah. So a lot of demos were done there and he had a lot of sort of in-house songwriters. And Elton originally would go there and just play piano for the, for the, uh, for the writers, not recording anything of his own. And so we arranged to meet there and I sort of was, totally a fish out of water and was sitting in the um in the in the booth waiting you know to, I didn't know where he was and apparently he was in the studio down the hallway and I could see him on this little tv and I kind of 
said, is that, is that Reg Dwight? And somebody said, concurred and said, yes, it is. You know? And at that point, uh, the guy who was the engineer sort of turned around and said, are you supposed to be here? And of course, being you know, this country kid you know, sitting in this studio in London, it was like, whoa, um, uh, well, I'm supposed to be. And just as he said that, Elton came through the door and said, is there a Bernie Taupin here? And it was like, that's me, sir, you know. And obviously it was like he he just saved my life, literally. Yeah, someone so, saved my life tonight. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> or this afternoon anyway, at least. And so uh, I was immediately sort of attracted to him as a human being. It was like, oh, you just, you know, you just pulled my feet out of the fire. And so I literally, um, you know, we went around the corner to a place called the Lancaster Grill on Charing Cross Road and bonded immediately. And yeah, so The rest, cool. as they say, is history. Well, you say that. I mean, the unfolding of those particular days, there's so much to talk about here. I can literally talk to you all day. Um, later on, you were on a wage. You, you were on a fiver. Elton was on a tenner because he played as, as oh, well right. as yes, everything yeah. else. And you still went back to that cafe uh, for, for food and stuff. Um, you it should say- have one of those little blue plaques on it. But I was walking. But you're not dead yet, so, so not <laughs> oh, quite. You only get them when you're dead. I yeah. didn't realise yeah, that. Yeah, there's a different colour you get while you're still alive. Let's <laughs> let's get you one of those, shall we? Yeah. Well, I remember. It's funny because I uh, last time I was in London, I was walking down Charing Cross Road. And I tried to find that place, and of course, it's no oh, longer there. Gone, I gone. I couldn't even figure out exactly where it was. But anyway, that's yeah. another. And you talk about Dick James publishing the Beatles, of course. And in the book, you say, and the odd mop top would drop in now and again. So it's funny, obviously, we started the conversation with you pushing John Lennon onto to the right, stage. Right. But of course, you, you were not nowhere near contemporaries of theirs. Um, oh, and, but, yeah. and they were at the peak of their powers. Right. And they were, what was it like when you saw a Beatle just come into reception or have a cup of tea or whatever they were well, doing at the time? You know what? The only one that I ever remember coming in there, and we had, we had sort of two incidents where we ran into McCartney. And I remember McCartney coming in with, um, what was the girl? Mary Hopkins. Right. And I can't remember the name of that song. Those were the Those days. Those were the days, right. And I think I remember him coming in there and doing a demo of it with her. And wow. we just saw him walking through the lobby. And of course, that was pretty amazing. But at, at, at that particular point in time, Elton was doing um, uh, playing piano for different bands in the studios, like he played uh, for the Hollies on He Ain't Heavy. Yeah. But he also played with this band called the Baron Knights, who used to do parody records. And we were in the stu- and I used to just come and hang out and be a sort of spare, you know, part with him. And we were in the studio at EMI, and this was right back in the early days. Um, and we. Were we were, we were working in there with the Baron Knights or I was just sitting in the corner and Paul McCartney was in there and came into the studio and said, oh, I want to play you this guy, this new song that we've just written or I've just written. And he sat down and played Hey Jude in its entirety. Oh and we were just sitting there sort of, is this really happening? Is this really happening? Little did so, you know what was going to carry on happening for you guys. Yeah, exactly. Cheese, so, man. Cheese and biscuits, as my little four-year-old would say. Um, okay, where do we go now? I'll go, I'll go, let's go anywhere you want. Let's go to you living in America for the first time. 
falling in love with Los Angeles. You know, yours and Elton's sound, a very sort of West Coast friendly kind of sound, very different to, to what was going on in the UK at the time. How come you channel that? Where did you get that sound from that was so USA friendly, do you think? Well, I think that happened before we ever went there. And I think that was just because of the music we listened to. I mean, we were absolutely immersed in music. I mean, Elton and I would go to this place called Music Land on Berwick Street and Soho, which was run by these two incredibly hip gay guys who became really dear friends of ours. And what they would do is they would get American imports in every like every Friday afternoon of things that, you know, like Electric Ladyland, uh, two weeks before it would come out in, the, in, in England. And of course, they were in shrink wrap and they had beautiful card sleeves. And back then, the English albums had these awful, flimsy kind of glossy sleeves. So to get hold of these things before they actually came out here, I remember all kinds of things like Leonard Cohen, uh, Love, you know, Forever Changes, so many albums that were so important in our sort of development and so it, it literally came from there because it was all american based music and you know there was great things happening in england at the time people like fairport and family and all these groups but we gravitated more to a sort of west coast sound and then of course the the moment I heard music from Big Pink by the band, it like kicked down the doors for me because it made me feel that I could really write those kind of songs that I wanted to write. But I did. I was. A, it was almost like I was in the closet as far yeah. as the, that kind of music was concerned. And when I heard that, then we immediately went out and made Tumbleweed Connection. Yeah, and did you feel like you were hearing a language that you, you were born knowing, but you just didn't know that bit yet? Yeah, because I was grow I, I grew up totally on narrative country music. That's why I gravitated to that kind of music rather than what was inherently pop at the time. And I just loved telling story I wanted to tell stories and those ki that kind of music allowed me to tell stories yeah, yeah. and as I say when I heard the band that was the blue touch paper that sort of made me say okay I can write those kind of songs yeah. and they can be cool and hip yeah so amazing man amazing uh, where do we go next uh, we could talk about you I mean obviously clearly you've all, always loved music you were at the Stones in the Park half a million people you were there as part of the massive you were on the at the Isle of Wight right. to watch Bob Dylan you then met Bob Dylan years and years out it's so funny isn't it when you go and see your heroes and then you look shoulder to shoulder completely qualified and validated in their company doing the same thing for a living how does that feel Bernie Tolkien um it's it's natural because it's a natural progression. Doesn't I mean, it overnight. doesn't happen yeah. overnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so as your notoriety sort of fills out and you grow older, um, but I, I I still think you're you can slightly be uh, enamored with the company of greats. You know, I mean, I, I've met a lot of very very special people in my life, but the people that really have impressed me the most are not necessarily well, that they weren't our contemporaries at the time, but they've become our contemporaries. I mean, I, I've met all those people. I know all those people. I can call a lot of them friends. But there are other people in my life, like literary heroes. Like there's a whole chapter in the book about Graham Greene, who was still is probably one of the greatest 
uh, writers of the 20th century, and I had a fortuitous meeting with him uh, at the Savoy uh, in London, you know, back back in the 80s, which probably was the most uh, extraordinary meeting. I mean, that was that was somebody who really, really impressed me. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he was a literary... In the same way as meeting somebody like Sinatra, you know, yeah. because it's a different era and they they are so monumental in their, their historical background, whereas my contemporaries or people like the Beatles or the Stones or any of that... The, ilk. That ilk, yeah. yes, exactly. Um, you realize that you basically come from the same foundation. Yeah, you are qualified, yeah. You know, they, but, they, you know, the way that they were raised, they were raised on the music, too, of their past, you know, not their contemporaries, but by the past. So you have something in common. Yeah. Whereas the those other people I mentioned, they're, they're from a different era and on a different kind of level. Yeah. And those are the people that really, really, I would sort of go, now I'm standing on the shoulders like of giants. It's like when you meet an astronaut, I suppose. Regardless of what you do for a living, whether you're Paul McCartney or Barack Obama, if you meet an astronaut, they've been to space. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. Different, isn't it? Exactly, yes. I love that. The Graham Green, um, the martini moment in the bar, that's such a great story. <laughs> and you love your books. Um, now there's a lot of sales. You just had the big Freddie Mercury sale in London. We just had the Charlie Watts sale as well. Um, I was thinking if you ever sold stuff, you'd sell books, but you sold some of your greatest books, didn't you? You started to collect oh, yeah. them, well, I first mean, editions. Yeah, I think people still uh, think that I'm a book collector. Well, I mean, I still read uh, voraciously. I mean, I read so many books a year, uh, but I don't collect books in the way that I did back then. I collected first editions. In fact, I had probably one of the greatest collections of children's first editions in the world at one time but I suddenly I got to a point where I, I just bought the ranch and I was starting to cowboy and get it you know buy horses and believe me that's along with restaurants those are the two money pits that you can fall into oh they say if you, if you want to make a small fortune start with a big one and uh, buy a Formula One team that's another <laughs> example you know? but I did I did uh, so I sold all of my books or my collection because I wanted to the thing is with the books you can't do anything with them you can't write them yeah, you know you you and you've got to be careful when you pick them up because yeah. they're antiques you know and I just thought I, I need to put my money into something that I can actually phys physically be in contact with yeah, yeah. which was horses and, and believe me horses are expensive as books yeah um, it's funny isn't it because we talk often about true nature on this show and about you know they say that if if you are one if you become one thing and then you have you you experience some kind of redemption uh, for one reason or other some some detractors will say yeah well they're like that now but a leopard never changes its spots and what they've missed is the fact that well, no, the changing of the spots was the middle bit. Right. Because as a kid, you loved westerns, you loved right, horses, right. you loved cowboys. Well, I, I love that culture. Yeah, the, and the all that goes on in the middle. The panorama of it. Yeah, yes. and then you come to the other side, the other bookend, if you like, we're talking about bookends and you before right. you came on, and you go, but that's what I really like. And you go off on this, not a flight of fancy, but it's just called life, isn't it? It's right. what life is what right. happens when you're making other plans. And uh, and you go back to doing what you loved. And and since then, you've, you've experienced another sort of... Uh, uh, transition, um, a transcendence almost, because you're over the ranch 
bit right. of your life now. Right, T- tell right. us about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is that it, it the ranch is interesting because it was like coming full circle. You know, I mean, I was raised a country kid and I ended up back being a country kid. It was certainly on a grander scale and a different level. But at the same time, in cowboy culture, if you're going to uh, incorporate that into your life, it's not something you can't take seriously. It was there was a an extra. I, I did that for like ten years. I mean, I was on. You I gave was, it a go. I, I oh, I gave it a go, and I gave oh. it a full go. I mean, I as I say, I was on the circuit for probably a good decade doing exactly what I wanted to do and then I got to the point you know where I was getting older I had children and I didn't want to be away from home the the riding part of it had a physical uh, I, I, I toll toll on me you know I mean I, I had to have an operation on my shoulder because the the what I was doing which is a thing it's a, an equestrian event called cutting and it's very 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 physical so it took its toll on me and and I didn't want to just spend the rest of my life on a doctor's table, yeah. you know, get, getting myself repaired over and over again. And then I basically began to live vicariously through my elder daughter, who's far, far exceeded me as a, as a cat, you know, in, in that culture. So it's good. I can, I can look back on it with affection. But now I wanted to downsize. And now I live a very, very simple, simple life. And yeah. I, uh, that's... You know, I've done enough where I've got to the point in my life where I can really relax and enjoy it. Yeah, they said, somebody said last week, you know, how, how heavy is a glass of water? And apparently the answer is, depends how long you hold it for. Yeah, uh, very you know, good. If you, and if you've got a big life, it's great, whilst you can hold it. Right. And then as you get older, uh, you think, this is fun, but I'm all right now. Right. I want to be lighter. I want life to be lighter. I can move through it, like be more like water, like Bruce Lee said. Um, we've got to go back to you in Elton's house with Sheila. Um, she's making, she's got a fried egg on the go, right? A couple you, of fried eggs. A couple of fried eggs. And you um, sit down and you knock out your song in 10 minutes, right? The passage in the book is more profound for its brevity. We need a bit more, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. The fact that you just literally, it's like a spit on the page and then you want to go, no! Can you tell it's us a bit slow more? motion, Please right? Please tell us, yeah, exactly. Please tell us a bit more about that Bernie Toffin. Well, you know what's interesting is that if if anybody's seen the movie Rocket Man, you know, for the most part, that is a fantasy. Um, and it, it's chronologically, the music's mixed up all over the place. But there are a couple of scenes in Rocket Man that are really, really very much the way that they happened and that the the composition of your song in the movie is is really very much the way it happened i mean you see elton and i at the breakfast table sheila's in the kitchen i think the uh, uh, elton's grandmother's in it but she wasn't there at the time in reality and there's a scene in the movie that i i actually um, told them they should put in the script because it's something that really happened. And I don't know how many people picked it up in the movie, but you see me writing it at the table, which I did. You know, I was just 
it, it was stream of consciousness. It came from a very naive place. And the reason there's all those sort of pregnant pauses in the song is because that's basically how my mind worked at the time, because I was very naive, very virginal. And um, so it came from that place. But there's a bit in the movie where... Uh, I kind of pick it up and wave it under Elton's nose and he kind of looks at it, he picks it up and he goes, this has got egg on it. <laughs> and which, which I remember clearly was the way it happened. And then he did. He took it and went into the living room, you know, where the old stand-up piano was and sat and basically composed it in a very, very short time. Um, but I think, I, I think the way of looking at that is that Sometimes the, the most classical pieces of music can happen in the shortest time. Yeah, yeah. It's just, again, it's kind of kismet. It's the way it but happens. But they've been billions of years in the making because they yeah, come from I somewhere. Mean, you know, there are songs, there are things that I've written that, you know, I've written half of it at one particular one year and it probably didn't resurface again till the next year because things were different then the way that we wrote was completely different we were writing all the time as opposed to now where we'll only write when we decide to make a record yeah, yeah. which is maybe every five ten years but back then we were making two records a year and that was everybody but else that, so was everybody yeah. else and so we were continually writing but as i was traveling you know i would make copious notes you know something on my peripheral would would uh, inspire me it whether it be a character in an airport or an incident i would just write it down it's like the um story in the book about Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's. Uh, the first night we ever went to New York, the cops shot somebody outside my window. I didn't see the actual shooting, but I saw the aftermath of it. And that's when I wrote the first sort of stanza of, of Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's. But I literally stuffed it in my bag and didn't use it and see it again till the following time I was in New York. Hence the kind of juxtaposition of the bad and good yeah, of yeah. New York. Yeah, so, in love with New York that's in how end. we worked yeah oh what a life you know it's all in there as well you don't shy away from anything in this book it's all in there the attraction the adulation the addiction the highs and the lows the twos and the froze <laughs> what a life Bernie Bernie you look really well man oh, thank you you look so well in your skin your complexion oh, oh, clearly a bit of cowboying goes a long way can I stay longer <laughs> <laughs> you do look fantastic how's your mate doing when's the last time oh, you talked to him he's great um, well the, you know what's the beauty of, of the of the modern day is zoom you know, FaceTime, yeah. because yeah, yeah. now we always have talked on the phone, even if we're continents apart. Uh, we always check in with each other and he's always calling me. But now he does everything on FaceTime. So we get to see each other, yeah, yeah. which really makes you feel that you're in the same room. Yeah. But he's fantastic. You know, we're, we're looking forward to recording again soon. And um, we've we've definitely got still got a lot to say. What a life well lived. I mean, we should all be grateful for the fact that we wake up every day because some people don't. Amen I mean, to that. What What are you, I mean, where does such a rich, beautiful, I mean, he said there was egg on this. You know, yolks are golden, aren't they? <laughs> yes, so, exactly. <laughs> depending Good on the quality Thank of the chicken. You, you know what Thank I mean? You. Yeah. Uh, where do you think a life as blessed as yours comes from? 
Good parenting, yeah. I think. I mean, I was I was raised on, I, as I say in the book, I learned absolutely nothing at school. I wasn't an ac- leave, I wasn't you? an academic. Uh, everything that I learned, I learned from my mother, who was sort of a true bohemian, and gave me a love of of literature, the arts, music paintings um you know as a as a young kid i was on her knee looking at jmw turner paintings you know and she would the seascapes she just you know sowed the seeds of inspiration in my mind and i i think a lot of it comes from there and a lot of it is just pure luck you know meeting the right people at the right time i mean the fact that i met elton when i did i I, and i'm glad it happened when it did and i'm glad we had the ups and downs that we had and you know yes we've reaped rich rewards and but i'm i'm thankful every single day i wake up and breathe awesome some people say it's better to be lucky than good some people say it's better to be good than lucky but it's you can't argue against both. <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely you? not. Lennon and McCartney. Let's have yeah. those. Let's have Torpin and John. That's been Bernie Torpin. The book is on. It's as good as a book can be. Scattershot Life Music, Elton and Me by Bernie Torpin. Thank Enjoy. You. The Graham Norton Radio Show. How exciting is this? With Waitrose. Over on Virgin Radio. Up and Adam, come on. Things to do. Don't cheer. You'll just embarrass yourselves. We're not bored of it yet, so it's lovely. There's no stopping them. No stopping them. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Oh, there's nothing nicer, is there? Nothing nicer. With Waitrose. Food to feel good about. I mean, what's not to like? Saturday and Sunday from 9.30. Over on Virgin Radio. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 